0: My name is Dr. Lindsay Weisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at PsychShrinkMom or at Neurotic Nourishment. Rhiannon, thank you so much for being here, um, listeners. I am here with Rhiannon Baker, who is uh, a writer and. A lawyer uh and an all-around i'm gonna go with survivor and i don't know what's most important because i do think we're the project of the shit that we've had to wade through as children young adults teens but i also think that what we do with our shit, um, is what makes us uh who we are so um First and foremost, because um, I want to say this at the beginning and the end, uh, Rhiannon will soon be releasing a book. Soon is relative, by the way, in author's terms. Uh, called "Lessons from My Rapist," and it's a fantastic title. And I really would like a copy when you um, when you write it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm a so I I kind of knew I was a true crime buff, but didn't really until. I started, I have a new podcast, Crimes of Long Island podcast. It's got like six episodes. But um, when I started looking into, I didn't grow up, I live in New York, I didn't grow up here. And when I started looking into like the crimes here and the suggestion of my co-host, I I want to say fell in love, although you can't really fall in love with a murder, but I became obsessed with this one crime that is um, as yet unsolved, although it's pretty clear who the who the uh, culprit is, so to speak. Um, But it really, uh, I tumbled into this well of wanting to know more about it in every way, shape and form. And uh, the nice thing about the neurotic nourishment podcast is it's in general for smart, sweary moms, but it's also we often talk about mental health. And during COVID, like last summer I interviewed a whole bunch of comedians to be like, remember when we were making jokes before? Like, what are we making jokes about now? You know, like yeah, um, that year all those celebrities died and we were like, oh my God, what's next year better be better. And then it wasn't. Um, and so now I'm talking a lot to people involved in uh, true crime, the prison system, all of that. Um, so what's the best way for you to start? Do you, would you prefer to tell your story first or, um, or actually, why don't you tell just a little bit about you? Because I know from reading Mm -hmm. that you would just become really come out of your shell. Um, as many of us do. Uh, Yeah.
1: Um, I actually had kept kind of secret what had happened to me for many years. Wow. Um, it was, I was filled with shame for what happened, even though, um, you know, intellectually, I know it wasn't my fault. There was still a lot of shame wrapped up in what happened to me. Um, and so it was, I'm going to say the last five years, I've wow. really started sharing more about what happened to me. Um, and that I have found newfound strength in sharing. 100%.
0: Um,
1: yeah. Um, so,
0: so wait, let's go back because I know you were, sh- you, I read an article and you described that you were sort of shy Mm-hmm. To begin with, which yes. is, you know, painfully shy, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, uh, painfully shy. What does it find painfully shy?
1: Um, I, I just I hated any and all attention on me. That's um, true. it would cause anxiety and tears, and I just very much lived in my shell.
0: I wish I could go back in time and have given you Lexapro. Not that I can prescribe, but I, you know, I mean, shyness is often anxiety. We just don't have the exact word for it. Not that it necessarily was. I'm just saying in my experience. So, so then you went to, um, you, did you grow up in Oklahoma? No, I grew up in Iowa.
1: That's where I'm from. Originally, I moved to Oklahoma to go to college at the University of Tulsa.
0: Gotcha. And is that a big school? I don't know a lot about.
1: No, it's a private school. It's not big. Gotcha. No.
0: Um. And so there finally, it sounds like sounds like your sophomore year, if I'm math incorrectly, you started, I guess, making branching out. We, you know, yeah, the nice thing about college is I feel like there's well, I'm hoping for my son, like there's going to be someone as weird as he is there, you know, <laughs> he's good, weird. He's just creative, weird, you know? So Yeah. Um, but so you started branching out and then mm-hmm. um, on this one particular day, and I kind of think that's important to mention that it was day, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. just because we always, we're, society is really still struggling to not blame a victim and like, yes you know, you were sober. It was day, by the way, you mm-hmm. can be drunk and it can be night and it's still not your fault, but I'm just clarifying, right. like in this instance, like it was a very, yeah, it was middle of the day, hot
1: summer day, washing my car, just on a busy street, out of public, minding my own business. And then my life, you know, took a drastic change.
0: So, I don't want to take the story away from being yours to tell you almost, it almost seems like it's still, it's still a struggle. um, You know? Um,
1: Sometimes it is. Um, It, it, I don't know. It depends. Um, The more I tell it, the easier it gets. A hundred percent. Definitely. So um, yeah, so I can go ahead and share it. I don't mind doing that. Um, I was, like I said, I was washing my car at a car wash. One of those, Uh, Where you plug the quarters in, and you you know wash it by hand.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah.
1: Um, And so I was washing my car, and I noticed a car parked on a side street, and there was a man sitting in the front of the front seat of the car, and I noticed him watching me, and the hairs on the back of my neck kind of stood up a little bit, and I was aware of him, and I just kind of kept my eye on him. Um, and I think he became aware that I was watching him. And so he drove off. So I was like, okay, whatever. I was overreacting. No big deal. Cause he drove off. And so I thought everything was fine. Um, so I continued washing my car, doing my thing. And I remember I had 23 seconds left on the little timer. There was a timer and just thinking, even though I was done, I was like, well, I'm not going to waste water. I'm going to use up these 23 seconds that I paid for. (laughs) Um, And the next thing I know, there is a hand over my mouth and a knife at my throat. And,
0: you know, you've, I mean, have you been to therapy? I'm, I'm. Oh, yes. Okay. So something like 23 seconds for anyone that doesn't know it's, it's related to PTSD where we remember the small things. And part of that is, um, our, adre- our adrenaline fires. It, it, um, shoots up our fear memory. We remember as I like to put it, it's so that you can really remember what a lion looks like. So that if rips, if it rips off one arm and then comes back, you don't get the other arm, you know, right ripped off. And in this case, it's also just something it's the less fearful, least probably the least fearful of what would happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other thing I'm just going to interrupt you and say, like, we judge ourselves so much as women as like, oh, we're overreacting, you know, and we need to react and overreact because we're, yes, men can get attacked too as non-binary individuals, but speaking on a a huge more, you know, general, in the the history of, you know, um, men versus women, there are many more women that get attacked. And if you, you know, just the fact that we're taught like, hold your keys in your hand with one key sticking out. I would not be able to do jack shit with that weapon, but um, I don't, the, the fact that he drove off, I don't know if that's proof that you were overreacting and for all the women out there, don't take it that way. Like I've started memorizing license plates since I started my podcast and teaching my daughter to do the same, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so. I just, I, I interrupted because I just felt the poignancy of that 23 seconds. Um, so you felt a hand, a question mouse. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, the thoughts
1: that go through your mind. You, it, I mean, time slows down, but it also speeds up. Um, and so the first thought that I had was like, it was one of my friends pulling a sick joke. And that was where I went first. And then he spoke um, and I realized I don't know this voice and I don't. And it's like you mentioned, it's kind of weird, the things that I remember and the things that I don't. Um, I don't remember how he if he drug me to where his car was parked in the next stall or if he just kind of walked backwards and I walked with him. I don't know. But somehow I got. Somehow I got to his car.
0: Also, I wonder how many people were around.
1: Yeah, I don't Well, And I I was, yeah, I was concerned. I didn't. And one of the other thoughts I had was that he had somebody with him. And so I didn't know if there was somebody with him. And I also was thinking he wants my car. That's what that's where my brain went. (laughs) Not he wants me. It's he wants my car. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, let him take the car. Um and it wasn't until I was being shoved into the floor of his the back seat of his car and handcuffed that I realized, oh shit, um, this isn't about my car. This is about me. Um, and he was, you know, yelling at me the whole time and and swearing. And um he got in and we drove off.
0: Well, why? why has no place here. Logic has no place here, but why do you think he was swearing and yelling just as an attempt to frighten you into I think or? so.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think so. He was threatening to kill me um, immediately. Um, threatening to to cut my damn head off is what he frequently repeated during my time with him. Um, and I mean, he had a knife at my throat. I, w- I wasn't going to test to see if he really meant it or not
0: (laughs) no 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 please be safe and believe yeah believe that they mean it yeah
1: yeah um so anyway so we drove off and in my mind I tried I immediately started trying to keep track of where we were going like okay we made a left turn we made a right turn we made another right turn and
0: I read um, that and that's brilliant like that's what they do in movies and and yeah, and I don't think I would. First of all, I have a horrible sense of direction, but also, like, I don't think I could ever uh, have the wherewithal. It's the lawyer in you, I think. But yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it it was just that's kind of and that's kind of what I uh, my goal was from the beginning. I'm gonna get out of this, and I need to know these details because I'm gonna be telling them to the police. Um, I knew that from the very beginning. Um, We, this, it happened in Tulsa. We ended up driving out into the country. I don't know where, um, a remote rural area. Uh, We were probably in his car 45 minutes, I would say, um, just driving. And during that 45 minutes, I obviously lost track of all the right and left turns because there were so many of them, I couldn't keep track anymore. Um, and then when we turned on to gravel, I knew that um, things were about to get even worse. Yeah. So uh, I won't go into the details of what happened to me, um, but suffice it to say, I was repeatedly raped and sexually assaulted multiple times, um, physically assaulted. Um, and it, I was with him for several hours um before I was able to escape
0: how do you have any idea how many is, I mean obviously not I'm not I'm just curious if it um I guess morbidly I, I want it to be less than more it's a morbid question yeah. I want you know that's the only reason I think I and again this is one of those details I don't remember
1: exactly I think it was around six hours
0: Oof, okay
1: yeah from from the time that he got me to the time that I escaped
0: Right. And your escape is pretty fucking amazing, by the way.
1: Yeah. Um, I so it had it was starting to get dark um, and I call him a farmer because I don't know who else would be out in the remote area where we were. But there so and this person never came forward or anything, made the connection. But there was a farmer who saw us. And I'm sure he thought it was two people naked fooling around on his property. And he didn't think there was any. I mean, I'm sure that's all he thought was going on. Um, and so he yelled at us. And so that scared my attacker. Um, and so he had me get back in the car. Um, this time, at, by, at this point, I was no longer handcuffed. Um, I was still blindfolded, but I was no longer handcuffed. Um, and he started driving away. And we were driving not very long, but I could tell we were starting to get to a more populated area again, because I could see headlights um, through the blindfold. I could see headlights coming and um, the car started to slow down. And I just kind of like crossed my fingers and said a prayer and opened the back door. I was in the back seat, opened the back door, kind of fell out of the car into the ditch, Um, immediately popped right back up and I took off running down the middle of the street. um,
0: Into oncoming. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, the strength that you showed is, uh, I don't like the into oncoming traffic, but I I do know what comes next. And so I know that I can still like the, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I... I thought I was like the next car that comes is stopping whether it's because they hit me or because they stop voluntarily. I don't care, but somebody is stopping. Um, and it was a, it was a truck and he did stop. Um, it was a young kid. He was also a teenager. Um, I, I don't remember what I said to him. I just like ran over, got in his car and just started yelling at him to go, go, go. Um, he called 911 on his cell phone, um, had the police directed us to a nearby gas station, which is where they met up with us. Um, So, and then after we met up with the police, um, it was, I kind of remember the look of shock. I still remember the look of shock on the police officer's face. Um, I don't remember what exactly she said, but it was something along the lines of like, oh my God, this is a real call. We need backup. (laughs) Um, because I don't know, I guess maybe they get a lot of prank calls or weird. I don't know, but she, it was like, oh my God, this is a real call. And I need
0: backup. This is what you were trained for lady. This is your moments, you know?
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So then the police actually took me back to, well, the guy in the pickup who picked me up, um, they wanted him to go back to where they found me, where he found me. So I was in the police car and we went back to where I was found um, and his car was still there. Wow. Turns out his car had actually broken down. Wow. And so he was on foot. Um, so I was sitting in the, in the back of a police car. I was clutching this teddy bear that, that the police officer had, um, just crying. And it was like something out of a movie, uh, like a lifetime (laughs) made for TV drama. Um, because I could hear the search dogs barking. I could see and hear the helicopter blades whirring overhead, um, the police chatter on the radio in the car, where they were talking about me, it was just this weird out of body experience. Yeah. Um, after some time had passed, they finally took me to the hospital um, to do a rape exam. Um, I there was a friend who had I had dropped her off at work earlier in the day, and she had seen my car at the car wash she was on she was we were supposed to meet up after she got off work um so she had seen my car the car wash with the police car there by that point and so um they brought her to the hospital to meet with to meet me there um because remember my parents are out of state right um so I didn't have anybody um And so she was there with me when we did the rape exam and, you know, we weren't even close friends, but it was just so reassuring to have somebody there with me to hold my hand during that awful experience.
0: Are you still friends with her
1: now? Uh, You know, I'm not like, we just kind of went our separate ways. Um, and I don't even know how to I I wish I did. I wish I knew how to track her down. I don't even remember her last name. I could track her down.
0: I'll track her down for you, but um, I'll track her down for you. But, (laughs) but I imagine it's the kind of thing where it either bonds you together or it's such a weird, surreal thing that she had to put it in a bubble and put it to side. Yeah. Um,
1: And, and so while we were at the hospital, the police, you know, I was giving my, my interview with the police as well. Um, and while we were there, they said they had found somebody they wanted me to take a look at. And I was like, okay. So I go outside at the hospital and he's sitting in the back seat of the police car.
0: Wow. And
1: I couldn't tell initially if it was the same. I mean, because most of the time I had been blindfolded and, um, but they had, so I, They had him get out of the police car, and he was standing there in a bathrobe of all things, um, because apparently he had been in the shower when they. Smart man. I mean, yeah, he he was washing the DNA away. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Anyway, they. I was able to identify him. Um. I was able to identify the clothes that he had been wearing. Uh, the belt in particular was very distinct, and I remember his belt. Um, and because he had me remove the belt, so I remember the belt. Um, and so they arrested him that night. and um, turns out he, this was not his first offense. Um,
0: so I have a question about that it's because I found several offenses, but tell, like, I I maybe I'm incorrect, but there is a man with the exact same name. Well, we can say his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. His name is Lloyd Calvin Cooksey, right? Correct. And um, I found an article from 1978 where he was 26 and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison for the- In Texas? Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Okay. For the rape of a 14-year-old girl. So you're saying he only served 13 years?
1: 12, I don't remember. I don't
0: remember- I think I want to say it was 12 or 13. OK, yeah. yes, I'm sorry. You, you do have 12. Um. So because I was shocked because I mean, normally it's like. You know, a third, well, you're the lawyer, but like, it, no, it, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like oftentimes it'll be a third to a, a half or or a half to two thirds. I'm, I'm I may be messing that up, but like he raped a 14 year old girl who was coming yeah. back from the hospital visiting her mother and somehow he got out in 12 years. Yeah. And I
1: i mean, I don't do criminal law because it just hits too close to home. Of
0: course, yeah. Um, I,
1: I, I don't know why he was released when he was. And clearly, I can't find
0: anything about it. Like it's really tough to get into Oklahoma's
1: court. Yeah, documents. clearly
0: he shouldn't have been
1: released. Um, and I have a hard time believing that there were only two victims.
0: I agree. Um, I also think, well, I, I mean, you and I had spoken, you explained to me why. Um, but I also think that, which I agree with, enough, um, but he also doesn't lay low. Like there's a lot of, his name shows up a lot. For different things other than these two major rapes, being uh-huh. yourself and this this poor girl, um, and he shows up in different states and explain tell me you know because tell me why because it's fascinating and I couldn't find anything about that. So
1: he was a truck driver, a cross country truck driver. So I don't. I'm. You might know more about him than I do actually because I didn't. I didn't. I've done Google searches on him and I've not found a lot either. Um,
0: I mean, he was in a lot of places. uh, Yeah. uh, Texas, Oklahoma, um, Missouri, um, you know, and he's got a lot of minor offenses and minor, I mean, like speeding or uh, incorrect. What was this one? Um, Operated motor carrier vehicle with unsafe or improper frame. I don't know anything about that, you know, that yeah. stuff, but, but you're right. He was in a lot of different States. And, um, uh, so let's say the first one was in 78, like, um, recently I recorded about a kidnapping, uh, family adoption Like um, dad took the kid and that took place in like 84, 85. Oh no, that was in 90. There was another one in 84, 85, but really, there wasn't a. There wasn't a solid interstate. I'm not saying the FBI didn't exist. I'm just saying like the, there wasn't solid communication, and often it was FBI competing with local law enforcement, and just mm-hmm. remember nothing was computerized. Um, yeah, you know. So I agree with you. And what would be fascinating to me is, you know. I wonder what unsolved yeah, there are, yeah.
1: I've wondered that as well. Um, and especially because he is a truck driver, I don't think the FBI ever got involved in my case. I think it was just the local police. Um, so I don't know what efforts they made, if any, to kind of look for other potential victims. Um, I'm right. not and sure.
0: I don't know how, what criminal profiling was like at that time. My husband, is yeah. he a def- uh, well, he used, he's a psychologist, but he also used to be a public defender, um, and so I'm sure he has a lot of facts that are probably half made up and half true. But you know, um, but <laughs> I just don't know where they were at that time point in time. I right. just know that um, there are certain trends that I've noticed just from the little time I've been studying true crime. 99, 98, 99. So I had just graduated. I graduated in 99 and I didn't get a cell phone until after I graduated. And so I did have this moment as you were telling the story. And then my first thought was, well, you probably didn't want your cell phone around water. And my second thought was maybe you didn't have like cell phones weren't. I didn't have a cell phone. Yeah. No, it was, (laughs) it was kind of surprising that the guy
1: that picked me up in the truck did have a cell phone they weren't, they weren't as common then.
0: No, he was probably cooler. I felt like the yeah. <laughs> kids all had this shit first. And I was like, the like, I remember when I finally texted my, one of my best friends in like 2007, she's like, you learned how to text, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, but so obviously there was that, um, how did you, where'd you go from there? How'd you pick up the pieces? I mean, you're married with two kids. You're finally yeah. telling your story. Like, yeah obviously you went to law school at some point, but I know that you were, um, interested in psychology. Yeah. My, I grabbed my undergrad
1: degrees in psychology and then I got my master's degree in human relations. Um, I was, but kind of going back, I, afterwards, I was an emotional mess. Um, I suffered from severe PTSD. Um, I had flashbacks and nightmares and, I mean, I was literally afraid of my own shadow. I mean, I was just hypervigilant and jumpy and um, I was scared for my life every single day, every single day. And because I was having such um, severe nightmares, I didn't even get relief when I went to sleep. Um, And I suffered from that for years, um, for years. It wasn't until I happened upon a therapist that did EMDR. Yep, that really my symptoms started to to get manageable. Um, because I was I was a mess. I was. I mean, I was going through the motions. I mean i i I did have to withdraw from college for a semester, um, but I ended up finishing my degree on time, and then I went and got my master's degree, and I was in the workforce. And I mean, so I'm
0: impressive mess, you know?
1: <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, from the outside looking in, of course. I was doing okay, but internally I was not. Um, so it wasn't until I did EMDR that things really kind of turned around. Um, and I finally, yeah, I, I went to law school, um, my daughter was, my oldest daughter was five weeks old when I started law school. Wow. Yeah. Um, you really so went to
0: Latin for punishment. Huh? Yeah.
1: Who <laughs> <laughs> needs sleep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Um, so uh, I went, made it through law school. I did really, really well in law school. Well, you um, needed
0: something to focus on. Yeah. Not and, that you're not smart. Obviously. I'm just saying like, there's obviously... Yeah. Sometimes Um, that's that's a coping mechanism.
1: Yes. Yeah. It gives you something. It turns your attention to something else. Definitely. Um, and so, yeah, I've been a practicing attorney 12. How long have I been out of school? 12 years now. Um, so I've been, I mean, I, I love practicing law. I love what I do. I don't do anything related I, what, when I first went in, yeah. when I first went to law school, I thought I'm going to work with victims. Um, and I, I just realized that criminal law, being like a prosecutor is just, I don't think emotionally I would be the right person for that job.
0: I, think I would get
1: too emotionally involved.
0: Right. It would be too close, but there's, uh, you know, victims come in all shapes and sizes. Obviously. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, and so I kind of fell into civil litigation. Okay. Um, and that's what I do now. So what's um, your
0: specialty? Um,
1: it, I don't really have a specialty. I do. Um, I do a lot of like employment cases where I represent the employer. Um, I do, property cases where, like, the owner of a property gets sued for something. Um, It's primarily defense work on the civil litigation side.
0: Okay.
1: Um, And that's kind of, I kind of fell into that. Like, with my first job out of law school, um, it was kind of, it was right after the 2008 recession. So I took the first job I could find, and um, that was kind of the area of law that it was in. And I have just stayed with it and I'm good at it. And it's interesting to me. Um, I, do, I do some volunteer work with an organization, a nonprofit here in town called Tulsa Lawyers for Children. And we represent children who have been victims of neglect or abuse or um, who, who are in foster care and going through the court system. Um, so I, I kind of have an outlet for helping victims yeah. that look different than what I went through, but they're still victims, nonetheless. Um, I also serve on the board for a local nonprofit that helps domestic violence survivors. Um, so I have found other avenues to kind of fuel my desire to work with victims yeah. of crime. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I think that's, I think that's great. I think that's the best we can hope for um you know is to find an outlet uh yeah to deal with uh, whatever our past is and i agree there are some there are some things i can't work with some patients i, I just don't think i'd feel comfortable because it would bring up too much of my own shit from my past and so and then there are others where it feels like i have found a way to resave myself so to speak you know mm-hmm. um so it's, it definitely sounds like you've made a good way for yourself. And then, um, can I ask how you met your husband? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've been married almost
1: 12 years and he is not a lawyer. Um,
0: you made the right decision on that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I know, I know other people who both both people in the relationship are lawyers and it works for them, but I don't think it would work for me.
0: <laughs> oh, and just imagine if you're both shrinks and one's a know. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he is in, he's a financial advisor. Um, so we're just, and then we've got our two, two daughters, um, 16 and 10. So, so,
0: there is a happy ending there is a happy ending i like the happy endings i don't want to minimize what everything you went through but i Mm -hmm. i you know if there's someone out there listening that has been the subject of something like this i i I hesitate around saying the word victim because i don't want it to you know um undermine all the work that you have done you know Mm um and then also, the word "survivor" just doesn't. You are a survivor, but if someone's currently struggling, they don't see themselves that way. So, right, this right. Is my overthinking ADHD brain on how to speak English. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, if there's someone out there that is going through the PTSD or has had a trauma like this, I think it's exciting to exciting. I think it's important to show them the um, the other side of it, the, mm-hmm. the fact that if you fight and you seek help and you keep going, it, it does get better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it took me, like you said, it was hard work. Oh my gosh. Um, lots of hard work for years. Um, but it's, and you know, and I still have what I call, I call them flare ups. I still have little PTSD moments or depression moments or, um, pity party. I mean, we all do, Mm we're not going
0: at a pity party. I like, okay. Other, so, um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to, I used to have a, a roommate in college that would call it a funk and she had a lot of things to be in a funk about and funk was just her way of minimizing it. But I feel like that's yeah. away away from your ability to experience it, you know? Yeah. Uh, without any guilt. So. Yes. Uh, yes. But, I, but think-
1: I have found, I have found I'm much stronger than I thought I was
0: which is my Um, favorite, that's my favorite, favorite, like mantra to say, um, yes, you know, ever to myself, I teach my children, one of them doesn't listen, but I do, I really like that as a mantra. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah. and And I've had other crappy life things that have happened to me. Um, you know, like I had divorce and miscarriage and being laid off and, you know, all the other negative life things that, that come up. And every time I faced one of those challenges, I was like, yeah, but I survived worse than this. Right. So it's like, no matter how crappy that situation might be, I knew that I was going to be okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, you were fighting from the beginning, you know? Um, and I do think that when we have to go, Like if you're going for it through hell, keep going because in the end, often you will come out stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and not that I would wish it on anything, but obviously, I not that I would wish what happened to you on anyone, but obviously, there are things that came out of it um, that perhaps helped you overcome what we didn't know lay ahead. You know. Yeah. Um, Life is very tough to predict. Um. Any idea when I'm going to get to read this book? Because I'm really excited now. I, my
1: goal is that it's going to be published the end of 2022. So it's still a year away.
0: It's a good, it's a good goal. Um, yeah. I like that goal. Don't put pressure on yourself. Um, you know, uh, your family will hate you and that's normal. These are all my little tips on writing a book.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, um, and uh the book is another form of therapy obviously Mm -hmm. you know yes um thank you so much I can't thank you enough for uh coming on where can we so to find out more about you um and lessons from my rapist are we still referencing this um uh the uh kickstarter I pulled up yeah.
1: You can, you can find me on Kickstarter, um, on social media. I'm on Instagram.
0: And your if um, ha- your handle on all of them is be- my beauty from ashes. Yes. And that's a great name. I, yes. I really like that. So many metaphors. That's why I like it. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. I will include all of this in our show notes and I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks.